Welcome to the Apostolic Anthesis Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Joshua Aaron. Apostolic Anthesis is an open venue podcast, exploring the interests, the Word of God, and the lifestyle of the apostolic world. Thank you for joining us today on Episode 2 of Apostolic Anthesis. Today's topic is an amazing story of a woman in the Bible who has a heart after the ministry, wants to please God, wants to help out and do her part. And this woman lives in Shunem. And so we'd like to tell a story of a woman who wanted to do the right thing. And because she answered the call, God blessed her with a child and God blessed her with miracles. But then like everything else in life, sometimes the good things all of a sudden go through a storm. And in the midst of the storm, it's easy to doubt, it's easy to fear, and it's easy to want to throw our hands up and run away. But this woman kept the faith, and she pursued the things of God. And God honored her faith, and he came by, and then he came by later in her life and did it again. And so through this story of highs and lows, and of good times and bad times, we see that her trust in the Lord began to grow, and it began to prosper And by keeping the faith and by keeping the trust in God, he was able to constantly bless her and bring her through the storms. And so if you're in a place in your life where you're asking God, where is this going? What are you doing in my life, God? Why does this keep going around and around? And Lord, it feels like every step I take towards you, I take two backwards. But it feels like disaster is always surfacing in my life. Lord, when am I going to come out of this storm? If these thoughts and these places in your life have been recent or maybe in your past, and you're wondering, God, is this going to end? Then this episode might be for you. And I believe by the end of this story that God is going to answer someone's prayers and questions today. Our society is filled with broken commitments and empty promises and hollow words. And trust is so hard to come by and so hard to have towards people in our life. In fact, it's becoming very rare if we have somebody in our life that we could tell our confidences to, and they would keep our trust. It's very hard to find somebody that would truly listen to us with our best interests at heart. Trust is hard in our society. And that's why this episode is so very important, because this episode, this story of the woman from Shunem, is going to help us understand how to trust in God when every fiber in our body is screaming run. When depression and doubt is consuming our thoughts, where it's hard to see God, it's hard to feel God, and it's hard to hear God. I want to encourage you to just hit the pause button in your life and just slow down and wait on God. And I really feel that by the end of this episode, the Lord's going to speak to somebody. So let's jump right in. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn there, our story is going to begin in 2 Kings chapter 4. And I'd like to read verses 8 through 37. And we're going to take our time a little bit. And this will be in the English Standard Version. And if you've got other versions of the Bible, you can just follow along. But it'll be from the ESV. So 2 Kings chapter 4. Let's begin at verse number 8. And one day Elisha went out to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God, who 
who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put him there for a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. So I want to talk a little bit right here. So the woman sees the man of God as he was traveling through her countryside. And she saw that he was always tired, that he was weary from the sun, he was weary from travel. And she saw a need in his life. And that need became her call. And she wanted to do something to meet the need for the man of God. And so she, she told her husband, hey, let's build an apartment on the roof. And let's put a bed in there, let's put a table and a chair and get him a light in there, a lamp that he can see, a place that he can rest and we can cook him a meal and he can recover. And so he's just got a little bit of comfort in this journey. You see, before Elisha was the prophet Elijah. And Elijah, all of Israel knew of his great wonders. They knew of Elijah calling fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth there. And they knew of all the miracles that Elijah had done. And now that Elijah was taken from the earth, his protege, Elisha, had taken over. And Elisha is now the main prophet in Israel. And she lived within the territory of the tribe of Issachar. And she believed in Jehovah. And she believed in Elisha and his calling. And so when she seed she saw the need for the man of God. She answered that need. She fulfilled that need by building him an apartment, by making sure that the man of God could get rest. And so her motivation here was nothing but good. It was nothing but honorable. And this tells us that her heart is really good, that her heart wasn't, um, it wasn't seeking fame and it wasn't seeking glory and it wasn't seeking, hey, look at me. She just wanted to do something nice for the man of God. And so in verse 11, it says, One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber, and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. And what is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, Elisha wants to do something nice for her in return for her building him an apartment. For all the work she had done, he, his heart had, had reached out to her, and he, he just wanted to repay her kindness. And so he begins to ask her, and she quickly began to state, she said, in, in other words, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm good. I, I don't need anything. I dwell among my own people, and we take care of one another, and we have the support of one another, and if I needed something, my neighbors would help me. And if my neighbors need something, I'd help them. She said, I don't need anything from you, man of God. I'm trying to bless you. And, and just, you hear the story, don't steal my blessing, you know, when people want to buy your meals and things. And, and that's what she's saying. She's saying, don't steal my blessing, man of God. Just let me do this for you, and that's good enough. But the Bible then says, Gehazi, in, in verse 14, he says, Gehazi answers, and he says, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. And Elisha responds to him in verse 15. He says, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about the time the following spring as Elisha had said to her. So let's just stop here a minute. And I want to just take our time and, and really delve into this story. So Elisha wants to bless her for her blessing him. 
and he has a younger servant, Gehazi. She says to Elisha, no, I'm good. I don't need anything in return. And so Gehazi, who's younger than both of them, and maybe a little inexperienced in life, and he hasn't he hasn't experienced the, the journeys through some of the storms that Elisha and this Shunammite woman have went through. Because sometimes in life, when you go through journey after journey, and you go through a couple storms, you know, sometimes we get our prayers answered. And sometimes we don't get our prayers answered. And sometimes the answer to the prayer is delayed. And when you go through a storm, perhaps when your prayer is not answered, but God at the end says, you know, I might not have given you what you wanted, and I might not have done what you've asked, but I want you to trust me anyways. We learn to cope with that. We learn to deal with that. We learn how to to go through the emotions of anger and worry and, and sometimes bitterness because we feel that maybe God robbed us or God did us wrong. And, and so we go through that emotion and then we learn that God really knew what he was doing all along. And so we learn these lessons. But Gehazi's not. And this woman has no child. And in today's society that we live in, if if a husband and wife, they have no child, well, we go to a doctor and the doctors run tests and they they do medical examinations, and they'll say, well, you know, you, you can't have child or children because, you know, maybe the man isn't able to reproduce or, or maybe it's the woman. And we come up with some scientific or biological reason as to why we can't have children. But in this day, in the day of the Shunammite woman, in the day of Elisha, the society and the pattern of thought there was not that it was on the man that they couldn't have children. It was always that the woman was barren. And the reasons for that were usually placed with the responsibility of the woman, that, that the woman couldn't bear children because of sin, or the woman couldn't have a child because she had done something wrong. or the, it, was the, it was the woman's problem that God was not giving them children. It was never really viewed on the man. It was always viewed on the woman. We know that she's older in life here, and Gehazi, he, he touches on the nerve of this woman because she says, O oh man of God, do not lie to me when he says, I'm going to pray that God gives you a child. So this is revealing. This is very telling of her emotions. This is very open on her being exposed, her fears, by her saying, no, don't do this to me. Don't, don't get my hopes up again. Is saying that she desired to have a son her whole life. And it lets us know that there had probably been many times in her life that she sought God. And she said, God, give me a child. And a child never came, and she'd get her hopes up and say, well, maybe it'll happen this year, or maybe it'll happen this month. And time after time, and month after month, and year after year, a child never came. And so she learned over the years to realize that perhaps it was not the will of God for her to have a child. And perhaps it was not in the cards for her to be able to be blessed with children. And so she had made her peace with this in her life, and she had accepted that this was never going to happen for her and her husband. And if you're listening to this and, and you've been around in life a little bit, you know that sometimes making peace with God on prayers that we feel are unanswered is a very difficult thing to do. And sometimes um, we struggle and we'll, we'll think we've made peace with it and then it'll, it'll roar its ugly head again and we'll, we'll fight with our emotions and our doubt again. And then we'll go have a good service and we'll cry in the altar and we'll overcome it and we'll say, no, God's got this. God's, is, God's in control. And then a week later, we're, we're crying again and we're saying, why, God, aren't you giving me this child? Why aren't you blessing this ministry? And this woman had been through this roller coaster ride of emotions in her life. And so she turns to the man of God and she says, don't lie to me. Don't, what she's saying is, don't get my hopes up. Don't get my 
my emotions up. Don't tell me that God's going to give me the dreams and the desires of my heart because I can't handle it again. I can't go down that path again. I can't face the disappointment again on this issue. And she's, she's begging him. She's saying, don't do this to me. Don't make me believe in something so dear to my heart, one of the greatest desires of my life. Don't, don't lie to your servant is what she's saying. But then in verse 17, the Bible says, but the woman conceived and she bore a son about the time the following spring as Elisha had said to her. God did what the prophet said would happen. And the blessing of a, of a son and a child came into her life. One of her greatest desires was now able to be held in her arms. The void that she had been missing in her life had now been filled. She had a family. There was life in that house again. There was a toddler running around. He was, he was breaking things. He was leaving his bike in the yard for people to trip over. And, and although you might stub your toe on his toys, there was new life in that home. There was an excitement of promises of God that were fulfilled. The faith was as high as can be because God did the impossible. God opened her womb and given her one of her greatest promises, greatest desires, had answered her prayer of year after year and given her this son. And so this this child is growing in her house and, and everything is right. Everything is good. And this child was because she had honored the man of God that was traveling through her area and wanted to bless God's kingdom. And she wanted to answer the need with a call. And she, she built the man of God a place to live, and she put him in there, and she was just trying to do good. She wasn't seeking this, this path. She wasn't seeking this promise at that time. And all of a sudden, because she had responded to the need, and she had stepped up to the plate and had helped out the man of God, God gave her a son. And then in verse 18, it goes on to say, And when the child has grown, this promised child, it says that he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. Now, it doesn't really say what happened here, but it sounds like it was probably a brain aneurysm that had went off in his head, and he got a headache, and then they brought him in, and it says that he died in his mother's arms, in her lap. And it says in verse 21 that she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and she shut the door behind him, and she went out. I just want to stop here. I don't know what's going through her mind. I don't know what's racing through her emotions, but I guess I guess we can really take a shot at this, because the promised son that God had fulfilled in her life, the highs of this, all of a sudden, the bright sunshining day had turned to one of the greatest, darkest storms of her life, that her fears that she had even warned the man of God, said, don't lie to me, don't do this, don't bring me to this place. She now was in that place because she had been given the answer to her prayer and now it was gone for her. Imagine the mental devastation and the mental anguish and stress that was going on within her. And she takes that son and she puts him in the apartment that she had built for the prophet, the man of God. And she puts him right on his bed. And he's the one that did this to her. He's the one that brought this child in her life. When she said, no, I don't need nothing. I don't need anything in my life. And because this man of God had opened up the can of worms in her life, and God had intervened and changed her situation, 
she took that dead child and she put him on that prophet's bed of promise. And so she goes out and she calls to her husband in verse 22 and she says, send me one of the servants in one of the donkeys that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. Verse 25. So she set out and she came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when he saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. Verse 26. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Now I want to stop right here before 28. She brings her child and puts him on the bed of the prophet. And she leaves that bed and her husband says, what, what, what's going on? And she said, listen, I, I need a donkey and I'm going to go to the man of God. And he says, well, why, why are you going to him today? It's, it's, not, it's not time for church. It's not time for his message. It's not, it's not time for the prophet to do the mighty things of God. And she just looks at him and she says, you know, everything's going to be okay. All is well. And then she gets on that donkey and she tells his servant, she says, listen, you're going you're gonna to prod this animal on and we're not going to stop unless I tell you to. And so she begins to ride to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel is about 20 miles away. It's, it's, it's to the northwest of Shunem. And 20 miles on a donkey at, at, a, at a decent pace, you know, the internet says it's, it's about six hour ride. And this is a woman that had just lost her child the stress and the emptiness and the, the hollowness and the desperation is all upon her. And she jumps on this animal and she's riding six hours across a rugged path and, and, and in the middle of desert and, and along the mountain path to the man of God when it's not time for church without an invitation. She didn't hear the God say, go to the man of God. She didn't have an angel say, if you, you go find Elisha, everything's going to be okay. She knew that this man of God put this child in her life and she was going to the one that was responsible. And so when she is arriving at Mount Carmel, the young man, the servant that really it was his idea from the get-go, he sees her and she doesn't want to mess with him because he didn't do anything except provoke this thought. And he's not the one that, that stated the promise. He, he doesn't have the power of God. And so she just tells him everything's all right, and she brushes by him. And when she comes to Elisha, she comes to the man of God, it says that she falls down at his feet, and she's in bitter distress. And, and Elisha says something very telling here. He says, the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. You see, Elisha was the man of God. He was the prophet of Israel. And God would speak to him, and then he would speak to Israel. And he was so used to that and, and so comfortable with the dynamics that God had in place of this is how it will go, Elisha. I'll speak to you and you speak to the people. And all of a sudden, 
here comes this woman, and he knew who she was, and he recognized her, and, and they had become close, you know, over the years and over the many times he stopped by and he stayed in her house, and he was, he was like a, an extended family member. And he knew the child, and he knew the husband. And, and when she comes to him, he can see the anguish on her. And, and Gehazi is, is the typical younger man, and he doesn't understand the pain and the, the loss of life, and he doesn't quite understand what's going on with her. And so his instincts are to, I guess, play the religious political role that there's a set standard and there's a way to do things. And it wasn't proper for her to attack the man of God, if you would, to fall down and touch him. But Elisha knew that you need to sometimes put away the traditions and put away the protocol and the, the proper way that when there's distress in the house, all protocol goes out the door. That sometimes we're going to ugly cry and sometimes we're going to we're going to ugly scream before the Lord, and, and we don't care who's watching. We don't care if it's in the middle of the, of the choir. We don't care if it's in the middle of worship songs. We don't care where it's at. We're going to that altar, and we're going to, we're going to find the Lord, and we're going to fall down at his feet. And he says, the Lord hid this from me. Imagine us how we walk through life, how we, we journey through life, and God will put callings on our life. He'll put direction in our life, and we're just going about it, and, and we're used to the Lord speaking us to us certain ways. And you ever, you ever bump into a situation or, or somebody comes out of the blue and a thing arises in our life that we're not expecting and we didn't see coming. And all of a sudden there's this huge need in our life. Elisha was learning a lesson here that sometimes the need becomes the call right then and there. You see, Elisha was called to be prophet of Israel. That was the, the big calling. That was the, the granddaddy of them all, if you will. And so he was used to God visiting him, and then he would go visit the people. He thought that's how the calling went. But all of a sudden, a need arose that God hid from him. He didn't see coming. And the need presented itself, and Elisha was now to begin to respond to the need of the hour, that the need of the hour was becoming the call of the day. And she grabs hold of him in verse 28. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And he said to Gehazi, he said, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. And if you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. And then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. So what's happening here is so typical uh, what happens many times. Elisha was a good man, had a heart after God, and God had done many things through Elisha. But Elisha was used to things being done to a certain protocol in a certain way. But this woman was breaking all protocol, and she was breaking all traditions. And when she knelt down and she grabbed hold of the feet of Elisha, and she, she latched on. She was changing the game. What she was saying to him is, I told you not to deceive me. I told you not to lie to me back on that day when, when you said you wanted to give me something. And I said, I don't need anything. I'm good. My household is good. But you wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't hear me. You wouldn't trust me that I was good. And you overrode my trust and you overrode my fears and you went ahead and you gave me such a dangerous promise. You knew that I was fragile, and I told you not to do this, but you went ahead and you gave me a son anyways. 
And just like I thought, every time I get ahead, it seems like the Lord takes that good thing from me, or I go through a bad thing, and I've been, I've been distressed my whole life, and I've suffered with bitterness, and I've suffered with depression, and I warned you not to do this to me. And what all my fears came to pass. And she said, I'm going to tell you something, man of God. Because you did that to me and you have burdened my heart like never before, I'm going to become a burden to you. And she knelt down and she grabbed hold of his feet and she said, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to go everywhere you're going. Whatever you do, I'm going to do. She's saying to him, you're now stuck with me. You're stuck with a grieving mother. You're stuck with a mother's scorn. You are stuck with a woman that has lost everything and has nothing left to lose. Because you did this to me, I'm going to walk in your shadow, and I'm going to remind you of the grief and that your words impact situations. And the things you say and the things you prophesy affect people's lives. And it's not... It's not just words you're muttering, and it's not just just for the moment that you're speaking into people's lives, but the ministry and the promises and the prophecies you speak are not light. They can impact, and they can hurt, and they can damage, and they can change people's lives. And because you've done this to me, I'm going to be by your side, a weight and a burden, and I'm going to remind you of what you did. And Elisha was doing ministry on autopilot. He's sitting there and he, he tells Gehazi, he says, well, take my staff and, and run ahead and, and put this on the face of the child. And, and Elisha's just going about his protocol and he's, he's sitting on the mountain of Mount Carmel where his predecessor, uh, Elijah, had sat and done great miracles. And the Mount Carmel had become kind of like an honorary place for the prophets to go, a, a holy place. And he's in his holy prayer closet, and all of a sudden this woman came in, and she didn't care how, how holy of holies that he was sitting in, and she didn't care that he was in his prayer place, and she didn't care that he was on the, the seat of the prophet. She said, you, you've brought great devastation into my life, and I'm by your, you're stuck with me now. I'm not leaving. I'm not, I'm not walking away from you. And he goes into autopilot mode, and he says, ah, I've got to do something. And he, he tells his servant to take, the, to take the staff, but she's still clinging to his ankles. She's not going anywhere because he has not caught up yet with how serious she is. And then it says when, when, she, when she finally gets through to him and she tells him, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will not leave you. And when she says that, I know that he began to believe her. And he knew, I'm in trouble. I, I, I'm not going to be able to do this the way I just thought I could do. I could just brush this off. I could just send my servant ahead. This has just got real, real quick. And this isn't going to just go away. And this woman's just not going to you know, be around for a little bit and I can, I can blow smoke and mirrors at her and she's going to believe this and I can get her away. She meant business. She meant what she said. And she said, as long as you live, I'm going to live with you. And where you go, I'm going to go. And he finally sees that, that this isn't going to work. And so it says that in verse 30, it says, so he arose and he followed her. And so now he's, he's got up out of his, out of his cushy, place of prayer and the need is all of a sudden his call 
And no, God didn't speak to him right then and there and say, hey, you need to go to her, and, and hey, she's coming to you. God kept it hid. He just, he just let it be. And sometimes if you're in the ministry and you're the pastor and you're the prophet in your church, that there's times God's not going to show you the need that's coming through your door. We are called to be servants of God, and, and that need that comes through the door becomes the calling right then and there. It doesn't matter how, how many accolades we got. It doesn't matter how many things we've done in our past. When, when a grieving mom or a grieving family member or, or somebody in desperation comes through that door, that right there is the call. So Elisha, in verse 32, it says, When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. And he goes in and he shuts the door behind the two. And he prays to the Lord. In verse 34, And then he went up and he laid on the child, and he put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him. And the flesh of the child became warm. And in verse 35, And he got up again, and he walked once back and forth in the house. And he went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. You see, the man of God, when he shows up to this woman in Shunem's house, and he goes up to the apartment he's been in so many times before, you know, he goes in and he shuts the door, and I can imagine what's going through his mind, that that this woman is not playing around, and this had the Lord had better come by or he's going to be living with this woman forever. And her scorn and her, her, her despisement and her anger is going to be aimed at him forever. He's going to be the target and the fixation of, of her seething anger. And so he goes in there and he, he begins to, to pray and he sees the staff and, and a lot, Gehazi comes out and Gehazi says, hey, hey this staff thing didn't work. This, this staff did not bring this child from the dead. Because Elisha was hoping that that would work, but that doesn't work in situations like this. And there was nothing in Elisha's past to even make him think that a staff would work. Because Elisha's example was Elijah. And Elijah had a young man die in his life. And the Bible says that Elijah got up and stretched himself upon a child three times before that child came to life. But Elisha, the predecessor, wanted to take the shortcut if the mentor had to climb on top of a child to bring the life, what makes Elisha think he can play it safe and play it short and just take his staff and put it on this child? And it didn't work. And Elisha walked in, and it was time to get real. You're either all in at this point, or he's going to live with a woman in despair for the rest of his life. And so Elisha remembers what Elijah did, and he climbs up upon the body of the deceased child, and he begins to pray. And it says that the child's skin began to get warm. And so he gets up, and he begins to pace back and forth, and he begins to call on God, and he begins to tell God, you know, God, you, you're the one that gave this woman this promised son, and you're the one that did this miraculous thing, and, and I'm calling on you to make this thing right. And so he climbs back upon the child, and he does it. He begins to pray again, and, and the child begins to sneeze seven times. And Elisha gets off, and he understands something, that there's no shortcuts in God. And that when we put promises forth and it impacts our lives and it impacts the people in our church and the congregations in our church and the saints of our church, that just playing it safe and dabbing a little anointing oil on our hands and, and, and praying for them and saying, go your way, that we know sometimes that works, but sometimes we do that by default on autopilot and it doesn't work. That sometimes we've got to get in our car and we've got to go to that hospital and we've got to lay hands on 
the sick in the hospital. And, and sometimes we've got to go right to their house and go into their bedrooms and into their basements and into the, the sick beds. And we've got to begin to just, just put that saint title aside and that pastor title aside or that prayer warrior title aside. And we just got to begin to call on the name of Jesus and say, Lord, you're the one that did it before. And I know you're going to do it again. And Elisha began to pray, Lord, do it again, do it again. And I'm telling you, if you're listening to this right now, that the God we serve, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that there are miracles that he's done in our life in the past. And I'm telling you that if it looks like the devil has reached up and taken that miracle, I tell you that that is a lie from hell and that God is going to do it again. And he's going to provide for that promise. And he's going to provide for that miracle in your life. And he's going to do what only God can do if we will do what only we can do. And that is put our trust in God. I'm telling you that when we get so desperate for God, that we're going to get up in the middle of a service, in the middle of preaching, in the middle of the choir, in the middle of a special, and we're going to go to that altar, and we're going to fall down on our knees, and we're going to grab the ankles of Jesus, and we're going to begin to say, God, I know it's not time, and, and maybe it's not the part of the sermon that, that's met, and, and maybe the word hasn't gone forth, but I need a touch right now. I need a miracle right now. I've got to have a change of this situation right now. And if we'll make up our mind and we'll make up our heart and we'll put it in a place like this woman from Shunem and say, Lord, I'm not leaving you until you answer my prayer. And I'm not letting go of you until you provide for the promise that you gave me. I'm not letting go until you raise from the grave and you, you come by and you take care of this situation. Because let's face it, most of us are just like this woman. We, we, we saw a need in our life. And we said, I want to serve you, God. I, I want to be a better person. I want to change the way I'm living. And, and we gave our life to God. And, and we got baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And we got baptized in his spirit. And we spoke in tongues. And we, we tried to be a good Christian. We tried to be a good man and woman of God. We tried to be a good saint. And we didn't ask for much in return. We, we want to sing in a choir. We want, to, we want to give our tithes and offerings. We want to give our time to the Lord. And we're not asking for accolades. And we're not asking for, for much from God. And then a preacher comes in and a, a prophet of God comes by and he says, God's going to do this for you. God's going to answer this prayer. And so we buy in, we believe in it, and then all is good and God answers and God delivers on his promise. But then a year later, a month later, some storm creeps in. Some storm blows into our life. And then it's easy to begin to think, God, why would you do this to me? Why would you promise things and then take those things? Why would you bless me and then remove those things? The Lord did it to Job. The Lord gave to him and then the Lord took from him. And the Lord had given to the Shunammite woman and then the Lord had taken from the Shunammite woman. But this woman she didn't waste time complaining to her husband. She didn't waste time saying, husband, we got to sit down and figure this out. She, she just said, husband, it's going to be okay. All's well. I'm going to the man of God. And she didn't waste time with the, with the servant of God, uh, Gehazi. She didn't, she didn't waste time with him. She said, all's well. I, I, I'm going to the one that has the power. I'm going to the one that made this happen, the one that spoke this into existence. And I feel the Lord to tell somebody, don't waste time with anybody else. Don't stop and have conversation and say, we got to figure this out. We've got to come to our senses. We've got we've to 
think this through. I'm telling you that the time to think things through and the, the time to try and figure things out is over. That it is time to just, just push away common sense and push aside reasoning and go right to the throne room. Go right to the feet of Jesus and kneel down and grab hold of those ankles and grab hold of those feet and begin to, you know, the begin to break open the alabaster box and, and begin to weep before the Lord and, and to cry and wipe his feet with our tears and our hair. Begin to bury our face in the feet of God and say, God, I don't care what it takes. I don't care how long it takes. I'm not getting up. I'm not letting go. And I'm not leaving from this place until you touch me, until you heal me, until you deliver me, until you provide for me. Lord, you're the one that spoke it, and I'm standing on the word. I'm standing on your prophecy. I'm standing on your promise. And Lord, just like you did it for Job, just like you did it for the Shunammite woman, I know and I believe that you're going to do it again for me. The Bible says that the son got up, and God had done that which he had asked. And God had proven himself to this woman that he knows how to handle the promises that he gives. And if God has given you a promise and God has answered a prayer for you, I'm telling you that if you can trust him, he's not going to heal you just to have you sick and die in a matter of time. If God healed you in your past, he's going to heal you again. If God has given you a miracle in the past, then he knows how to take care of that miracle. He knows how to provide for that miracle. He knows how to deliver that miracle and keep that miracle safe. If you will take that promise in your life and you will put it back in the hands of God and say, God, you're the one that gave me this. You're the one that gave birth to this miracle in my life. You're the one that gave birth to this calling. You gave birth to this ministry. And God, I turn it back over to you. And you help me raise it. You help me grow it. You help me teach it. You help me train it. Lord, you're the one that did it. And so I'm asking you to do it all the way through. And she believed that God was the answer to all the situations. And she believed that this God was the provider of promises and that he knew how to deliver and raise from the dead. And her faith was strengthened. But this isn't the end of the story with her. This woman from Shunem, there's a little bit more in her story. There's a little bit more that, that carries on with this. And, and we will cover all of that in our next episode of Apostolic Anthesis. Well, I thank you for listening today as we journeyed through the life of the Shunammite. I pray that this podcast was a blessing to you and the word of the Lord ministered to you. And I pray that the Lord will go before you and he'll set angels about you and he'll protect you and keep you safe wherever it is that you may go. Please join us next time on our third episode of Apostolic Anthesis for the second part of the life of the Shunammite. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, I would ask that you would consider subscribing. This lets us know that there's a listening base out there that likes to hear the content that's being created. Thank you so much for staying with us today and making this journey with us together. God bless you. 